Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 185, Episode 3 of Your Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Buck Jack Minster Fuller Mountain Dew. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. It's Miles Gray, a.k.a. Bone Chugs in Harmony, Chug Pound Gangster, Snoop Chuggy Chug, Old Chuggy Bastard, Chug Daddy, Chuggy Smalls, Chug Tank Land, Chug Face Killer, LL Chug J, and Chug D from Public Enemy. Oh, man, Chug, Chug on the brain. <laughs> Shout out to Ravioli God on the Discord for that wonderful Hell yeah. collection of old school rappers. The God of Raviolis. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. Miles, mm-hmm. we are so fortunate, so thrilled to be joined Honored. in our third seat. Mm-hmm. Honored, indeed, mm-hmm. uh, by the host of the Lime podcast, Running From Cops, Missing Richard Simmons. He is a writer, director, podcaster, producer, Dan Taberski. Hi, I don't yes. have any of those. Hey, hey, hey. Those. Yeah, thank you for doing it for me. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, man? <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thanks. Where are you coming to us from, Dan? Uh, I'm in Woodstock, New York right now. It's a beautiful day. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, nice. super sunny. The spring's here. Snow's gone. Is it is it as picturesque as I imagine that part of the country to be? I mean, I, only going beyond like my very idyllic idea of it of Woodstock, but I always yeah, see it's it, like, like Rolling up. Hills. It's like that kind of thing. It's actually the oldest or second oldest mountain range in the world. Uh, the Catskills are, or, or the Adirondacks are. So, how so do you it, date that? <laughs> they just I don't know they carbon dated or something right. they've got some sort of thing where yeah like, I just like they? that's a claim you can have like you see that mountain over there that's the oldest mountain in the world <laughs> totally well I <laughs> love that it's such a great claim to fame because they're small they're not like the Rockies so you feel a little lame until you realize they're the oldest and then that's fucking awesome yeah you lived your whole life with shame of how small the, the mountains were <laughs> a little bit like a little my bit, pathetic yeah. little mountains mm-hmm. but they're the oldest they're the oldest <laughs> we got that uh, all right, Dan, we are going to get mm. to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, a couple of things we're talking about today. Uh, we're going to check in with uh, Ohio's vaccine lottery scheme, a.k.a. Vaximillion. Mm-hmm. Is that a play on something? Like thanks, thanks a million, a maybe? Million? No, uh-huh. Maximillion. Maximillion. Yes, that makes way more sense. But even but as a thing, <laughs> right, is Maximilian like a good marketing? Hey, Maximilian, like the name yeah. or is there a phrase I missed? I could definitely see a lottery named Maximilian. Yeah, for that's sure. just because it's, so. it, yeah, our yeah. 90s obsession, 80s, 90s obsession with the word Max and Maximum. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk Roe v. Wade. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the Arizona recount. We will talk about Joe Rogan's claim that white men are about to be canceled. We will. Ask the question why we hate our own voices and our, just us specifically. Yeah, just us and the, <laughs> the three of us. Uh, and also, I'm all right with mine. Well, oh, all right. We got a healthy podcaster over yeah, here. What the fuck is this guy? The okay sense of self. We might even check with uh, Ariana Grande uh, marrying young Rando himself whose name I did not write down, but another famous person marrying a non-famous person, uh, which I think the Sabre metrics on that are actually pretty good. So we'll, we'll talk about that. All of that, plenty more. But first, Dan, we like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history uh, that is revealing about who you are? 
Uh, just something. Well, there's a lot of addresses. I, I went back and looked. There's a lot of addresses, and I realized that it's something I read them. Like when I oh well, I got uh, <laughs> no. hold on a second. I got. Uh, I'm not giving the full. I got Clinton Street. I got Coney Island Avenue. Uh-huh. Um, I have Kingston, uh-huh. New York. Oh, of course, classic. It's a, a classic. Um, I have Willow, New York. Uh, basically, I just whenever I talk to somebody or interview with them, I want to see like where they're at, like what their house oh, looks right. like or their apartment mm-hmm. looks like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a what, weird thing. So when you talk to somebody, you ask them what their address is and then. Yeah, usually I don't ask, but like usually you can see it's like on the right. bottom of their email or like right. it just takes a Google. It's a little bit of research. Just to kind of like give yourself a, a full picture, sort of their environment, where they're at, how they're doing. Kind of, yeah. I like to yeah. see where people are. I think that's interesting. Nice. I think it's interesting where people choose to live and then where people uh, like what they're into. If they're like, it says a lot about you. Have you yeah. ever seen, have you ever like while you embark on this fact-finding mission, been surprised at what you've found? Like, when you search them, you're like, oh. Okay. Yeah. I, somebody recently, uh, a friend of mine, I was surprised at how nice their house was. Like, super, <laughs> super, super nice. Um, and they do not present that way. Was <laughs> that more like, like they're kind of a sloppy looks like person? like a shithole, or? man. Yeah, I guess. They look like they live in a shithole. Yeah. It's okay. Do you reveal yeah, that? Yeah. Do you tell them as you're having the conversation, like, no, but it's hey, knowledge. man, I just Googled your place. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like subterranean knowledge. It's like something right. to keep in the back of my head, like, to sort of know. No, I don't tell them that I Google them. That's weird. Like, nobody, yeah, asks. Yeah. nobody wants you to do that. Yeah. Well, now they know. What is something you think is overrated? I have a couple um, well, that I'll just pick uh, Topo Chico. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. That's what's it. The, what's top, what's too the, aggressive? What's, just sick of hearing about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's sick really, of hearing about uh, it. I'm sick of the name. It's, I'm having trouble figuring out, like, are there, like, sp- like, mineral water, like, sparkling water sommeliers who can be, like, I get some bubbles may have a different mouthfeel. But at this point, like, especially in L.A., Topo Chico, people are like acting like if you drink anything else, like you're some kind of war criminal or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's bubbly water. And it's I get I get that it's in a glass bottle, but Coca-Cola owns it now. So what's the what's what's the difference? Oh, right. is that right? Yeah, I think they were bought out by to- uh, by Coca-Cola. Huh. Top, top, Topo Chico Coca-Cola. Yeah, Topo yeah. Cola. I mean, the the mouthfeel of the names. Uh, yeah. The, just the fact that you threw other. out mouthfeel is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> creepy. What do you have a uh, a type of sparkling water or? I don't like sparkling you prefer? water. So I've, I'm ah, already okay. starting. Yeah, I'm Got already it, yeah. starting from just I don't, I'm just not interested. And now I, then I have to hear people talking about something that I'm not interested in. So you're, you were sick rough. of the Lacroix wave. You're sick of this all this seltzer nonsense. Well, I shouldn't say. Well, I do. I, that's a total lie. I mean. <laughs> that, no, it is a total lie. I'm drinking the um, spin spindrift. <laughs> yeah. But that's Raspberry lime. I don't, if it doesn't have, a, it has a flavor in it, it's like pop. It's like soda. Well, you're, you're in good right. company because Jack is also a spin, I'm a spin doctor drift, as well. Yeah. You're a spin doctor? You're yeah. a spin yeah. doctor? Right on. <laughs> uh, hey, is that your favorite uh, flavor of spin drift, the raspberry lime? I, I wouldn't have picked it right now. I kind of went in the grab bag. I like a grapefruit. I like a, I grapefruit. Like a grapefruit as well. Yeah, grapefruit sort of... and pineapple is kind of a new a new one that I've been enjoying. Oh, I haven't seen that. The orange one is a little it's a little heavy. Yeah. Oh. Uh strawberry is interesting mm-hmm. because they have uh it, it's like they captured the t- the dirtiness of like a strawberry. That, like like <laughs> I think nice. there's some stem in there. The little seeds. Like, the little yeah, seeds. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. They, I think they tried to That's incorporate nice. the taste of the stem. 
nice. into the strawberry. But it, it definitely <laughs> is like among the more organic tastes that you will get in a uh, in a canned beverage. <laughs> but Topo Chico is definitely for becoming like so popular and dominant in the culture. It's it's very aggressive. It's like at yeah. one side of the pole of like the amount you can possibly carbonate anything. It's so many <laughs> bubbles. Yeah, it lasts so for, it, it'll last for a couple of days if you just leave it out. Yeah. So when, yeah, you just, it, when you drink it, it feels like you have like a mouthful of Mentos and you're drinking a yeah. Diet Coke. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's exhilarating. It's like I want... <laughs> I want to approximate uh, the feeling of tax in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> hit me up. What is something you think is underrated, Dan? The first one was celery. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was making lunch. And then the second one was Ethan Hawke. Ooh. I, yeah. Oh, I'm equally interested in both of those tastes. Yeah. But... Yeah. Well, celery celery or Ethan Hawke, what's first? Let's do celery first. Yeah, and then we'll get it's into delicious. The, the heavy list. As an amuse-bouche for Ethan It's delicious. <laughs> a, it's got negative calories. Not that I care, but it's got negative calories, which is always interesting. It t- right. It, you lose more calories eating it, right? Um, and you can just do it. Just It's just very flavorful. That and celery, and that includes celery root, uh-huh. um, which is a delight. Smashed celery root as instead of like mashed potatoes. Uh-huh. And you put some apples in there. It's delicious. And then the bow, the bow place next door to my apartment, um, they sell they sautéed celery. Like they literally treat it like broccoli Whoa. or something, right? What's sautéed celery? Because I've always you Just know when it I is. use it, it's either raw in a crudité type context, or I'm using it as like my uh, you know uh, trinity of bell peppers, onion, celery, or sofrito if you're doing Italian food, but never like just taking it as an ingredient being like, here is the celery stock. No, it's great. It's really, it's, I mean, it's, it's super, it's like basically poison because all it is is cornstarch and salt and then like celery. But like the, I think they just cook it for like a second Mm. and it's good. It's Mm. got a little crunch. Yeah. Celery. Yeah. The meat sauce that I make celery is a key, a key ingredient. It, and meat it adds sauce? a little, yeah, like a meat, uh, fuck, bolognese. Oh, you're a, making a bolognese. A bolognese. Oh, and yes. say that? chopped celery. Uh, I, I would have said that if I could think of the word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And carrots. There's probably carrots in that bolognese. Yeah, too. carrots. Yeah, you, well, you need to know. Like celery, I said, the sofrito, little. Jack. You sofrito. You <laughs> went right over when I said that. You need your, yeah, yeah, yeah. your onions, your celery, a little pancetta. Now, uh-huh. look, I don't know how much tomato concentrate you use because originally in Bologna, they don't use a lot of tomatoes in their cooking. Um, but you know that's up to the chef themselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a. I love a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Ethan Hawke. Yeah, let's get. Yeah. To First of all, what do I see in him? I just see longevity. I see somebody who isn't touching his face. He looks like he got beat up now. If you see him, which is great. <laughs> right. I enjoy, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think he's my age, but like he's sort of aging. Even. I mean, he's a handsome. He's in the handsome man club, but like he's sort of like his. He's got big like divots in his face, and like he's yeah. really letting it go. I just think that's cool, and he does everything right. He writes novels, which I haven't read, but right. he writes novels. <laughs> but and he, he does puts it them out. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just brave. rooting for him. I'm what rooting. What kind of does he write? He. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't think I could ever get myself to read. This is a. So I guess there's some complexity to my. <laughs> because I don't think I would ever read an Ethan Hawke novel, but I admire that he does it, and supposedly they're good. Um, I don't know if I'd be able to get past the Ethan Hawkeness, right? It. The fact that Ethan Hawke is out of t- Hawke is out of his typewriter, like typing it, would I think that would be a bit of a a barrier to sort of right. um, letting myself get into it. And then he calls himself up. an artist. I like people like that. 
Like, I like actors who don't, like, downplay it. I like actors who are like, no, 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 I'm an artist. This is what I do. Yeah. And I, I, I'm appreciative of that. Yeah. <laughs> he says, this is his one novel, uh, Ash Wednesday from 2002. Mm-hmm. says, Jimmy is AWOL from the army, but with characteristic fierceness and terror, he's about to embark on the biggest commitment of his life. Christy is pregnant with Jimmy's child, and she's determined to head home with or without Jimmy to face up to her past and prepare for the future, somehow barreling across America from Albany to New Orleans to Ohio and Texas in a souped-up Chevy Nova. Christy and Jimmy are transformed from passionate but conflicted lovers into a young family on a magnificent journey. That actually has some depth to it. Yeah. And now he has a new novel that comes out this year. And the first line of the description is the blistering story of a young man making his Broadway debut in Henry IV, just as his marriage implodes. That is a man with range. Right. (laughs) Yeah. His novels have range. Yeah. He's Ethan Hawke. Going towards a writing what you know type situation. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of imploding marriages or strained. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I get it. Like, what happened? Is this like what happened with Uma Thurman? You know, right. let us know. What she happened? lives in Woodstock. Oh, does she? Yeah. Because it's their daughter who's the one that's all famous now, right? Oh, does he have a famous daughter? Yeah, Uma Thurman. Isn't it Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter? I do not uh, keep up that with was famous in... kids. I'm too choogy for that. Oh, that's that was the one that was in, uh, yeah, she was in Stranger Things, the second season, or the third, the last season, Maya Hawke. And then she oh, was right in on. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, too. Oh, okay. who is she? She was like one of the she was like the charismatic Manson kid who like kept hitting on Brad Pitt from like on the corner. That's your kid. No, yeah. no, that's with the feet. Uh, Margot like feet Quigley. Were up on the dashboard. That's, oh, OK. Oh, yeah. She, then she's oh, no, she's the one. Andy oh, McDowell's kid. She's the one who gets sure. shook when they try and kill homegirl in the murder scene up on the hill. Got it. OK. That's uh. my <laughs> the one who gets she's the shook murderer who like leaves. Oh, uh, I love that movie. It was a lot of fun. All right, let's talk about Ohio, shall we? They have done something that we were all like, oh, has it really come to this? The Vaximillion, uh, which famously a play on Maximilian, they're, they're giving out a million dollars to one lucky uh, doser, one lucky person who uh, gets the vaccine. And it seems like that might be working. So like sociologically, they found that giving out a massive uh, prize to people or giving out the promise of a, of a massive prize to people uh, as opposed to giving out, like dividing that money out into individuals. The lottery version is obviously much more of a draw. We'll, we'll do a better You're job. You're saying the idea of enter for your chance to hit it big. Yes. Which is like the reason why, like, I would fill out countless things, slips of paper at the mall to try and win a Ford Explorer for my parents that they wouldn't want. Right. I yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, we just love that, yeah. that model. Like, oh, it's like Publishers Clearinghouse, too. I mean, this is it is essentially America, right? Like, that's, right. <laughs> that's the entire kind of promise of American capitalism. And so they were like, why don't we use that? To, well, what about the people who already got it? Like, so, so did they? Do, did everybody sort of like, all right, like people like me who were like, yeah, I'm first in line, I want it, and then like there were all the sort of lagging people, and they're like, all right, we'll give you guys a million dollars. It feels like that is sort of rewarding negative and it's incentivizing people to sort of be skeptics, isn't it? Yeah, it does. It does uh, seem to reward the uh, holdouts for sure, but yeah. they are seeing uh, results. They're, they've seen. 
So uh, vaccine rates were dropping in the uh, 30 to 70 year old set, uh, 30 to 74. And then uh, out <laughs> of nowhere, big set. I know the, <laughs> the small uh, 30 to 74 demographic, you know, most adults. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then suddenly they spiked by by six percent. It's not like it's uh, everybody's now vaccinated, but it seems like it's starting to starting to move in the right direction. Yeah. Oh, I see. Six percent after weeks of decline. So that. that yeah. Is yeah. Right. So suddenly, like, oh, a lot of people like that. I mean, mm-hmm. the, people like a free deal, a chance to win. But I know like part of it, too, is they're like racing the clock because like a lot of states are like, hey, in June. It's it, call yourself future because it's mask off time, baby. And we're going back. And I think they're like, let's try and get as many inoculations in when we go when we time travel to 2019 and then see what kind of spread we're dealing with again. <laughs> right. And why is the June mask off thing seen as immovable? They're just like, that's, that's how poly- that's all know? we got. <laughs> that's all we got. in Because you do this Sorry. thing to try and like, you know. Tell the the constituents like, hey guys, if you if you if you stay in line, then June yeah. can be a party. And then they're in their minds are like, that's great because then we'll have vaccinations, and then we'll have like two and a half solid months to get everyone vaccinated. Cut to, uh oh, we're stalling out at forty percent ish, right? And we're about to reopen. Give them a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people were talking about the tactics too. Like, did it have to be a million? Couldn't you? Because like it was weekly for five weeks. They had $5 million to give away. Then, like, what if you did a half million and you doubled the length of this campaign? Like, that's right. still a significant amount of people. Does it have to be a million dollars? Like, is that enough? But it's a nice yeah. round number. But then, you, but then you open up later. Right. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not down with that. You open up yeah, later and you also <laughs> sacrifice uh, the Vaximillion branding. Yeah. They had right, already, right. they had the this. Uh, it's logo not half and, a Vaximillion. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back and let's check in with the uh, the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court story, just because I feel like we've heard a number of times that like this is a possibility, but this, you know, pending decision really seems like it is the the case we've been warned about, the justices specifically chose a case that lower courts uh, had mostly upheld precedent on. So it basically means that like they're coming into an argument that seems like it had been settled and they're starting some shit again. So it's clear that they have something to say, like they have they think there's work to be done on what I think most people thought was settled precedent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this, yeah, people are saying like they wouldn't have done this unless a major kind of change was coming. And it's probably not going to be (laughs) a change in the pro-choice direction. I don't think Amy Coney Barrett's going to be like, yeah, we're just let's be a little bit more liberal on this. I mean, She was famously tight lipped in her, you know, when people were asking those questions because of this exact moment, you know, because what Trump has put in a third of the Supreme Court now. Yeah. And we are, yeah, we're looking at a this conservative majority that, yeah, is is the th- exact thing that people were fearing that of like what a Trump administration looks like or what, you know, what this conservative conservatives at the wheel gives you all these other justices. 
Right, but if you're, I mean, if you're fearing it, like, don't you want it sooner rather than later? For me, it's just like, all right, this is what's going to happen if there's, if you put all these people in the Supreme Court, and we know this is coming down the pike at some point. Like, let's go because the sooner it happens, and the sooner that they curtail Roe v. Wade, then the sooner people are going to realize that the only way to change that is to is to vote the way that is to is to kick people out of office and like I, and or or create legislation or create a constitutional amendment like like it. I'd rather do that than just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think, yeah, more than anything, that's just how, you know, American politics works. It's like it has to get to that point for a plurality of people to be like, oh, fuck, we got to no. do something. Because before when everyone was like warning, like, no, this could be bad. Like, you kind of need to think about this now. Yeah, I think, Dan, that's what's that. I don't know what else could happen uh, for things to actually change. But I mean, when you look at all the state houses across the country, I think far too many are willing to, you know, restrict access to these kinds of procedures than actually offer them uh, to their yeah. to the constituents. So, yeah, it's it's a very dark time. And I think already now when you see the amount of people who are having to, like, navigate their murky laws to go out of state or find other ways to have this kind of access, it's just ha- it's just a really bleak picture. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know what what this does to help force a conversation about like, well, if that's the case, what are we doing about Supreme Court justices and term limits? Are we expanding the courts now? Because I think maybe, you know, if this does happen, that makes all of those other conversations happen with a little more, you know, vigor. Yeah, they're saying it would revert at least 20 states to the pre-row days when basically rich women could get safe abortions and poor women could not. Right. So I guess my fear would be that, and I think this is borne out a lot in the past four years, that even with something horrible with legislation or from the Supreme Court, that people still don't do what they need to do to fix things. So then, right. then you really would end up with just like people getting back alley abortions again. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. The three quarters of the population want to keep Roe in place, like according to polling. So this is straight up like activists, like just out of step with the the rest of the country or with the majority of the country, I guess. So it would seem to be like this would be all the reason that the Democratic Party, the Joe Biden would need to be like, OK, this is the break glass in case of an emergency moment. I can I can totally see that being the thing that like they drop a bombshell ruling and then that's when Biden like kind of gets moving on the Supreme Court kind of uh, term limits or, you know, expanding the court. But we shall see. Yeah. I mean, there's also many states, too, that have like these trigger laws, too, that are saying like uh, the second the Supreme Court makes a decision, boom, abortion's immediately illegal. Yeah. You know, many states are waiting for this. Yeah, there's a few states. um, I don't know how many, but there's there's a few that have these like trigger laws in place in regards Uh to Roe. and. I think more than anything, too, it's going to force us to realize, OK, we only have each other to help out. And I think that is going to lead to a lot of it's going to take a lot of person like people helping each other, because once the states are just shuttering their doors on this now, like we're like these activist groups and charities are going to have to do a lot of the work to be able to give people access to abortions and things like this. So, yeah, a lot to come. All right, let's talk about the recount. I mean, we've all been kind of on the edge of our seat. When when are we going to finally find <laughs> out who won that fucking election, guys? Yeah. I mean, you see the new Ben Garrison cartoon? <laughs> oh, I, I a, wake up every morning. It's the first thing I check. 
is what what this Garrison dropped. Latest stupid ass Ben Garrison cartoon is a it's a the set of dominoes. Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Georgia, and Pennsylvania with Joe Biden looking scared as the last one. And the Arizona domino is falling first, hopefully triggering the audit, as they say. And you have Trump saying, you lost domino, Joe. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but uh-huh. OK. Well, thank because you. Joe uh, in this comic is very literally his body is yeah. a domino at the oh, end of okay. a uh, so I'm stupid. And Domino and Joe rhyme, which is pretty edgy. Domino Joe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. So in Maricopa County in Arizona, that's the scene of the, like one of the most absolutely nonsensical attempts at overturning uh, the election. Um, if you remember, this already happened. They did a hand recount. I don't know if you remember this. And then like courts were like, yeah, these allegations of fraud are like absolutely baseless. Like, please get out of my face. Like it's this election has been certified. But since the big lie, the MAGA faithful have just been very eager to overturn the results. So the Republicans in the Arizona Senate subpoenaed the ballots and then they handed them over to a group of fucking idiot conspiracy theorists who are like, yeah, we will get to the bottom. We'll find fraud. They're called. I'm not joking. Their fucking name is the Cyber Ninjas. And I just want to read a little bit about them. The company has no experience in elections and its CEO helped to spread the stop the steal conspiracy theories in the run up to the Capitol riot. It is now in possession of Maricopa's ballots and voting equipment. So they're there being like, we're going to figure it out. We'll get to the bottom of this. Do we have experience? No, but we do have experience in baseless conspiracy theories. So as you can imagine, uh, because we know what happened and there is no fraud, they have found absolutely fuck all. And because it's so poorly run, like they were using this like county uh, like convention center to do the audit and stuff, they had to pack up their shit and pause the operation because it was they were fucking up so bad. It was taking way longer than they thought it would, that it was interfering with the county's high school graduations that they held Aww. in that building. So they're like, guys, you got to <laughs> pack this shit up. We got some graduations coming in, man. Like, I know uh, this is a fun time for you. But we got to stop. <laughs> so now it's gotten to the point where even the Republicans in Arizona are f- just over it because it's been such a clown show that they're like begging them to stop, which is kind of odd. For them. So what what is the big news that is causing uh, the Ben Garrison? Con- like, why why are they so certain that this is? Well, was ben that Garrison, an old comic or is no, that it, like I'm pretty sure it's from the last few days. It's because he thinks it's because he's not in the group that thinks this is stupid or a joke. It's that he thinks they have things like they were looking for like bamboo fibers to prove like things were coming from China and shit and using like and using like UV purple lights on ballots. And people like forensically, what are you are you even doing? And they're like, oh, we're checking for stuff. They're like, what, though? (laughs) Oh, you'll you'll find out. It's like, dude, this is all just it's all performative. It's all nonsense. So. The Republicans started like, you know, asking the Senate president, Karen Fan, like to please end this. You like you started this shit. Please end it. And the board of the board of supervisors in Maricopa County were like really fucking pissed. One of state Republicans calling the process, quote, a spectacle that is harming all of us. Uh, This is from the board of supervisors. And mind you, this board of supervisors is four Republicans and the fifth is a Democrat. So this is this board of supervisors is 80 percent Republicans. Uh, from Arizona. They said, it's time to make a choice to defend the Constitution and the Republic. We stand together to defend the Constitution and the Republic in our opposition to the big lie. We ask everyone to join us in standing for the truth. 
Our state has become a laughingstock. Worse, this quote-unquote audit is encouraging our citizens to distrust elections, which weakens our democratic republic. You have rented out the once good name of the Arizona State Senate to grifters and con artists who are fundraising hard-earned money from our fellow citizens, even as your contractors parade around the Coliseum hunting for bamboo and something they call kinematic artifacts while shining purple (laughs) lights for effect. None of these things are done in a serious audit. I'm so, very curious what kinematic artifacts. Yeah, I'm googling. Yeah, <laughs> what, what? it sounds like a good thing. Like you don't want to ask to sound stupid, but you're like, what is? Is that something to do with actor Joel Kinnaman? Shiny thing, <laughs> Kinnaman. Yeah, it's Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> Strong refraction of waves in the migration velocity model introduces kinematic artifacts. Coherent events not corresponding to actual reflections. Okay. They just wanted this, to like get that yeah, U, that yeah. UV light on there because that right. that makes them feel like they're in CSI. They've done this thing where like it's so confusing. I've given up trying to understand what they're saying, and but it's the bottom line is they the win. audit is nonsense, and what you're doing is nonsense, and it's ran by the cyber ninjas, who sound like the fucking bad guys from like Surf Ninjas or some shit. But other than being like kind of kicked out of the building because they have. Because of the high school graduations and uh, being like shouted down by their own party. Like, is there is this progressing in some way? Like, what is giving uh, the people who are on the side of these people like hope? Nothing. I mean, like their response to them, it's just to that is being like, oh, here they go. They're afraid of what we might find. Right. Like, But you haven't found anything and you're not going to because a. You're looking for something that isn't there. And B, you're not even trained to even understand what you're looking at. Aside from just like this very narrow motivation to be like, we're going to find Chinese bamboo fibers on these ballots or some shit. But it's working. They're they're making money. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's only it it it's another indication. I think this like sort of strongly worded attempt at stopping it from the Republicans, from the Board of Supervisors. Right. That how deeply fractured, like just like the Republican Party is now, like where some people are like, I think we can get a. They're like, nope, there goes the party. Off it goes with the cyber ninjas. Yeah. Wow. By the way, Ben Garrison, great example of like the lower <laughs> standards of anybody, like for culture that is created by anybody who's on the side of this because they just like will take what they can get. The shadow work on the on this. Uh, oh on this, wow! Like when you look at so the the idea is that these dominoes are supposed to spell out the word audit in shadows, mm. but that he has made <laughs> literally no attempt to uh, make it seem like that is even conceivably uh, possible. That would have took too much time. He just he just wrote audit. Below. Trump yeah. looks good though. Trump oh, always looks smells. good. Yeah, he looks like Richie Rich. He's his uh <laughs> his, his suit is like kind of straining at the like kind of groin region, which I'm assuming is not by accident. Like he's yeah, his man. Suit like ben barely have contain his own visions him. of what's underneath yeah. there. Tell yeah. us what. Yeah, what do you see there? Tell us more about. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you see there? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the insurrectionists. There's a bipartisan effort to look at the January 6th attack, and it's running into opposition from GOP leadership, basically. Who'd have thought? Who'd have yeah. thought? Minority leader Kevin McCarthy specifically is out here being like, 
oh, it's it's too short-sighted and it, it doesn't look at all of the political violence that has occurred in the United States. In other words, they don't want an investigation into an event that perhaps some of their own members had a hand in. Uh, if you remember, Kevin McCarthy was on the phone with Donald Trump when the attack was happening. So right. I have a feeling, yeah, that guy doesn't want to have to sit in front of anything and explain anything to anyone about what was said or not said. But he now is saying, quote, the renewed focus by Democrats to now stand up an additional con con uh, commission ignores the political violence that has struck American cities. That's talking about the BLM protests, uh, mm -hmm. a Republican congressional baseball practice. That was the Steve Scalise thing from 2017. And most recently, the deadly attack on Capitol Police in April, uh, where that guy ran into uh, some of the officers near the Capitol. Now, mm -hmm. those are not comparable events. And I understand and that those we those have been investigated and people understand what happened there. This, on the other hand, has a lot of moving parts where there's law enforcement, military involvement, even politicians, where there's a lot of question marks to like what exactly happened. And so now I think their whole thing is they just want to go way back, broaden it to the point to be able to raise their talking points like other proposals from the Republicans are. Well, can we talk about Antifa? We got to put Antifa in there. And we've got to put the BLM protests in there as well, just to, I think, create this sort of mass spectacle of like, look, everyone's everyone's doing it, folks. So how can we really, you know, consider ourselves safe? So, yes, that's that's the, the current state of this effort to to figure out what happened. Yeah. And I mean, Antifa was involved in the in the storming of the Capitol, if if my sources are are correct. <laughs> if so, your favorite parlor somebody counts. said it. Yeah, yeah if, if your favorite parlor accounts are to be believed. And the yeah. other problem with this effort is uh, John Katko, who is the ranking member on the Homeland Security Committee, who's the Republican giving it this bipartisan support. He voted to impeach Trump. So that's already a, that's already, I think, a bad sign for how much Republican support it's going to get, because this guy was being like, no, no, I don't know. Nope, I'm voting to impeach. I don't know what everyone else is talking about. So that's already raising question marks on top of the fact that once it gets out of the House, it has to go to the Senate and then right. we'll see what kind of will there is to either completely water it down, you know, amend it. So it really is like about just whatever they wanted, whatever else they need it to be about. But I think such is the it's the all too familiar theme uh, recently. Right. Uh, all right. Let's take one more break and we'll come back and talk about some bullshit. And we're back. Uh, and all right, let's check in with Joe Rogan. It's been a couple of days. And we, we have a quote from one of the latest episodes <laughs> of his podcast. Yeah, I just, you know, he's it's a warning to all straight white men of the world. Uh, he says he was talking to his guest. He said, can you make a good comedy movie anymore? Or have they made it so dangerous in terms of being canceled that comedy movies are no longer something you can do? You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. It keeps going. It keeps going further and further and further down the line. If you get to the point where you capitulate, where you agree to all these demands, it'll eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk because mm -hmm. it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history. Mm -hmm. He says it will become, you know, you're not allowed to go outside because so many people were imprisoned for so many. Anyway, it's it's it goes <laughs> 
<laughs> in that true. direction. <laughs> I mean, on. that's good. He gets it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, like, I think he seems to be conflating the demographic of, you know, straight, cisgendered white men with the larger idea of like hegemonic masculinity and white supremacy. And right. then, you know, turning that into this sort of narrative of like victimhood, which most, you know, whether it's white supremacy or misogynist, like you, you need that to be able to explain why you are transgressing in the other direction, because it's, oh, well, I mean, look at us like, it, you know, like we're it's it's we're in the middle of a fight. So if I'm getting canceled, like oh, this is what's going on. These are the stakes for me is I'm being wiped out by not talking. I mean, Joe Rogan is one of the most popular podcasters on right. earth. I don't know where, like, you know, he's not really cancelable in that sense. Like, well, but think about it this way. I agree with everything you're saying, by the way. But I've seen a lot of people go after Rogan for saying that, saying, as he says into a microphone, as if he's not, I agree with you, he's not cancelable. But he is speaking for people. The people who are listening to him don't have microphones, and they feel that way. Uh, right, right or wrong. That, right. That's, and that's the victimhood ideal. That, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. The same thing espoused by, you know, white supremacists in Charlottesville who are saying, we, we're not going to get replaced. Or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. that same energy that you need to be able to keep that movement going. And that's what makes it a force that's really hard to reckon with because people are like, yes, I, I need this sort of rationalization to stay steadfast here where I am. at." Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a, it, I think there is something to say, though, like in general, when you have people looking at like, you know, on, on some level, people are not as interested in this term of like canceling someone as just sort of like a solution to something when. Most people are like, we need to drive our society forward and we need to evolve. Right. And part of that is about being able to demonstrate that there are opportunities to grow. And I think for people who are so obsessed, like in the Joe Rogan camp, it's just a very zero sum game because some people mm. are making it a zero sum game, which is like, you're canceled. That's it. Goodbye. Off to the desert landscape and, and just enjoy your time there where on some level, people need to be shown that. You can fuck up, be shitty, and find a way to grow past that. Yeah, or else it's going to be completely, it's, it's, not a, it's not a proposition people aren't going to be interested in. And I think even like, you know, I, my, like when I talk about my own growth or anyone's growth over time, there were times when I felt like a Joe Rogan type person. I was like, man, well, what the fuck you can do? What's, what's the problem? And then it takes a second for you to realize like, well, these things can change. And I also need to be open enough with myself to understand it's hard what to do that, is. right? Yeah, it's di yeah. it's massively you gotta, difficult. You got to like calm down for a second and just like think about it. And it's I also think it's funny that he's coming at it. It's it is funny that he's coming at it from the place of there are no good comedies anymore. A <laughs> it's a it's 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 not untrue. I will say it is hard. It is hard to find good comedy films these days. But that says more about the film film industry than it does about comedy, right? But it also says something. It's just generationally, generationally, it is a story as old as comedy itself that comics always feel like they're right. getting put out to pasture because comedy evolves. Like right. I, I've been involved in things that were made twenty years ago, and like it is not funny anymore. And it's not because you need to get canceled. It's just not funny anymore. Right? Yeah, we've moved on. We've evolved yeah. past that. Yeah, which is an interesting the vibe to feel that like the thing that you've been. It must be. You know, fuck him. I don't care. But like, it's his problem. But it is. A, I do get that feeling. He's feeling something. I just don't think it's it's the fear of getting canceled. I think it's just being irrelevant in some way. Yeah. Right. 
or like how do you keep up when you're used to just making really superficial jokes about people's like masculinity or what straightness or whatever and then it, like, yeah oh, like you keep coming back to the now. same old jokes everybody loves yeah. those jokes right no right. after 20 years they're sort of stupid and like, well, what <laughs> i'm not gonna do the work to try and like be a little yeah. more introspective again and find some new analysis and observation i can take to the stage to make people laugh i like my old shitty jokes I will say this. I would appreciate it if Joe Rogan could say there are no good comedies right now. And then instead of going into fucking three paragraphs about about wokeness, tell me something funny about wokeness. Like the thing about comedy is that you can you can you can look at what's around you and and makes intelligent jokes that helps you laugh at yourself. Like there's ways to sort of react to what he says he sees and and not alienate people and not complain and stomp your feet. Make a fucking joke about it. Like, right. if you don't have a joke about that, then you don't have a joke about anything that's going on now. Mm. Right. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, because well, I think at the end of the day, like, like, he has to put this sort of movement of, like, sort of diametrically opposed to him and yeah. that sort of philosophy of comedians to be like, and this is, and these are the stakes. And then yeah. we, that way we can stay fixed and fight from here. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this uh, Daily Beast article about uh, why we hate the sounds of our own voices from full disclosure. I'll say I don't hate the sound of my own voice. I know it was suggested. However, I will say I did have a reaction to the first time I ever heard my own recording. Yeah, voice. it's definitely something you need to get mm. used to. We yeah. we spend hours a day hearing ourselves back, hearing our own voices back into our headphones. And it's a it starts out as a very horrifying experience. I think a lot of uh the sweating and uncomfortableness I did in the first year of this podcast was just my brain trying to make sense of the fact that it was uh, it was having to hear its own hear my own voice back. Yeah, there was there's this assistant professor of otolaryngology at the University of Washington who like deals with people's voices and like surgeries of and with your like vocal cords and things like that. And he talks about just sort of when he hears people talk about their own voice and that they want to address it, he has, you know, there's been a lot of studies about this, but he brings up the fact that this whole phenomenon, this idea of like people not standing their voices is just part physiology, part psychology, obviously. So like when we're hearing our voices over the, through our headphones on speakers, it's traveling through the, the sound waves travel through the air into our, into our skulls and it gets to our small ear bones. And it's like a lighter sound versus when, what we're used to, which is the I'm hearing it straight out of my skull tone, which is a little bit smoother, a little bit bassier. And mm. so when we hear the two next to each other, it's just jarring because we're so tied to this voice that resonates in our skulls that it's mm. like looking in a funhouse mirror of yourself. And you're like, yeah, is this me? <laughs> I mean, like it, specifically with a funhouse mirror metaphor, like they've found the same but for perception of our bodies and reflections like they put people's like showed people pictures of essentially what their body looked like but made it so that they couldn't really tell that it was their body and when it wasn't their <laughs> own they rated it as like much more attractive and like in better healthier than when they were able to recognize it as their own like that's we just, amazing yeah yeah, yeah that's amazing. I would love for somebody to do that to me. Loving <laughs> my own body. <laughs> right. right. And like, even with the voices, they did the same thing. They had people like listen to their recorded voices 
and and rate their you know how nice they thought their voice was and then they had just clinicians also just listen to these audio clips and just rate the voices and you know across the board it was just clear people were so negative about their own voices and the clinicians mm. were like really positive they're like no nothing's yeah okay great 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 so oh it God. really is like this it's not that like you for people who hate their own voice it's not that you sound like a total shithead and you want to go full van gogh on yourself cuz you don't like what you're hearing it's just that we have this you know i think propensity to be very self critical and then these sort of moments offer those like, you know, opportunities to just be like, what the fuck? That's me. No, but I'm this thing. So have you learned to like your voice or 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 do you just learn to not care? I don't know if I I definitely don't dislike my voice. I'll say like the first really? time I ever heard it, <laughs> I think it was first time when I is when I was a kid and I was making a home movie with a friend. And yeah. then we played it back and I was like, what the fuck? I sound hmm. like this. Like, and I was like. 11 you know and that was just enough to like whatever i did and then my voice got deeper and i remember high school the same thing happened again and it i was a little more secure in my voice but then as time goes on and i think doing podcasting more and things like that i'm like oh yeah i like what i'm hearing in my headphones again that's nice dan i know you you've uh hosted many many podcasts have you yeah. ever uh been through the hell of trying to edit them yourself uh, I have in the very beginning, I was editing something. I myself. was at the I, very beginning too. And I was so brutal on myself. I was like, really? what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, I was so <laughs> it's like, cut this whole section. I sound like an idiot. Like, it was so bad. It's yeah. funny. I, I think I started when I was a little more, I think I just had, it wasn't about having confidence in my voice. I just had a little more confidence, period. And so right. like, it was like the lie, like there's so many things I could do to make something better. Changing my voice is not one of them. Right, right, right. So I just kind of like ignore, it. not ignore it, but just yeah. like there are ways to to sound less annoying. It's hard to sound better. It's hard to sound like the. It's hard for the tone of your voice to sound better. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. I just auto tuned the whole thing, so it sounded like I was singing uh, beautifully. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, yeah. Co-host T Pain is here. Thanks for joining us. This weirdly is, I think, a good advertisement for therapy because I just think. In basically every uh, every aspect of self perception, we are absolutely the worst at judging ourselves. Like there's just that lens or funhouse mirror, or whatever you want to call it. You know that we are the most important people in our world, and like there's just a lot of memories and values tied up in uh, how we perceive ourselves. Like whether it be in the mirror or our voice or what what our what our problem is on a <laughs> right. daily daily basis yeah we're our we're our greatest critics and yeah i think part of like part of even just being in therapy is like realizing too like yeah you don't got to listen to that critical voice all the time that's not right. actually useful just so you know You're like i don't know I've, I've lived with it for so long it's, it's kind of hard it's kind of like my rotten tomatoes that i love to check on all the time and yeah, i'm yeah. always rated hot shit on it so <laughs> uh yeah but i think yeah it's, i think to your point dan when you're asking like is it that i don't care i think over time it does become that i don't care because it becomes less important in my evaluation of who i am or yeah. what i am to other people it's more about like what my internal lived experience is rather than how I'm valuing that or adjudicating that against external opinions or factors. All right. 
Uh, let's talk really briefly about Ariana Grande. Uh, she uh, is no longer just getting engaged to people. She's now married to somebody, and it's somebody that, named Dalton Gomez, who, who I looks, don't think... He looks like Pete. He does look a little like Pete. I mean, he's just a young, good-looking 22, I think, year old, like... A little younger, 27. Okay, same age. He looks like an infant. Doesn't he look like a child? Yeah, like a little baby, like a little wee man. I don't know. This is after years of her having tragic to bad luck with uh, relationships (laughs) with famous people. She quarantined down with a young, not famous real estate agent, and they got married the other day. And I just wanted to, you know, shout, shout out that decision. I feel like the sabermetrics on celebrity couples is that this generally works out, particularly if a famous person marries someone after their... Like, it it seems weird. It seems like it would just create the biggest, like, you know, imbalance of status or whatever. But a lot of the time when somebody marries someone while they're famous and the person is not famous, like, that, that seems to work better than if they're both famous or if they become famous after they've already married somebody who's not famous, like Julia Roberts is still married to the, you know, hot cameraman that she married after a bunch of famous failed relationships with yeah, famous people. Danny. Yeah, Danny. Danny Jessica Holden. Alba married uh, Cash Warren just based on his name alone, I think. <laughs> but he was a PA when they got married, I think. That's He's right. Not, yeah. And oh, I forgot about that. Gave hope to that's every young hard. man. To me, I re- oh my god, the, I I have chills because I remember like, oh, the PA because I was a PA at the time, and I was like, yes, this is this is my this is my track to passive stardom. That guy must exude confidence if you're a PA and you're like, yeah, I, know. I totally, oh yeah, totally, yeah. That guy just must have it. Rather than like nervously stealing snacks from the crafty table, like I was like, huh? No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. The fuck are these Oreos getting my jacket pocket for? I think it's a ghost. Reminds me of like when there was there's that run I think in the '90s in college football where there were a bunch of like really great like Heisman caliber players named Champ, and it was just like, well, yeah, I mean. Their, their parents named them Champ. Of course, they were going to be fucking awesome, like, just based on the confidence alone. I bet just being named Cash Warren, like, he was just like, yeah, no, I yeah. obviously I should marry Jessica Alba. What, what right. are you going to do? <laughs> Champ is such a great name. Champ is a cool name. Yeah. I, Wait, who yeah. else is there? I'm just thinking of Champ Bailey. I Maybe it wasn't all named Champ, but there were a lot of, like, really cool names that were, like... <laughs> Like, just basically imbuing that person as, like, the greatest. And it always made an impression that, like, that, that's that got to be a slight leg up when you are just forming uh, your ability to store memories. And, like, the first thing you learn is that your name is Champ. But, yeah. Because I'm just there... thinking of who's, I mean, who, who else are you thinking? Of Ch- Were you thinking of Champ Bailey specifically? I was thinking of Champ Bailey. Uh, that's the see. 99 draft class. Uh-huh. So you got Peter Warwick, <laughs> the Heisman nominees, Chad Pennington, Chad Pennington. It wasn't all the same year. I just remember there being the era. Uh, the era. There were yeah. like a handful of those people. God. With really cool names. <laughs> I like how you're like, those are really cool names. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> right. It's such a great, simple way to look at the world. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, man. That's a, nice, that's a great name. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm like asking my mom, like, why don't you name me champ? <laughs> they, I feel like Colt is a good is a good name for anyone. football players. Uh, for yeah, anyone, yeah, yeah. But like that seems to there if you're named Colt, you're gonna be good at football in in some way. Or on 90 Day Fiance. It's a combination of a gun and an athletic animal. Yeah. Pretty cool. How did you go wrong? All right. Uh, and finally, uh, we, we talked last year. This might be a correction. Uh, we're we're going to. Yeah, we're not. How you we'll look see. at the story. So we talked in 2019 about how the story of the creation of Flamin' Hot Cheetos, the origin story of Flamin' Hot Cheetos was being turned into a movie about how a man working as a janitor for Frito-Lay uh, goodwill hunting his way up the corporate ladder uh, thanks to his recipe for a new spicy Cheeto. The movie is titled Flamin' Hot, and it is being produced by uh, Eva Longoria. And it is directed, I think. Directed, that's right, yeah. by Eva Longoria. So I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. So now the company is coming out and basically saying none of this is true, that they were test marketing this before Montagna's, the the supposed inventor, was claims to have even invented it. They were test marketing it in a completely different market and that it was like this team of very like hot shit, uh, you know, food scientists who came up with the idea, which is kind of it, like the exact average of if you asked me to describe the invention of any food product, that's what I would guess is that there was a team of like marketers and food scientists who got together were like, hey, these seem to be popular in a region like I think it was Detroit here. Let's develop our own. And they made a very popular food. Uh, as opposed to the flaming hot version of events where he literally had a shack in his backyard that he like had his spices in and would like put spices on like Cheetos to. But that's the part I don't understand is flaming hot Cheetos like Cheetos. Anything in Cheetos is not like you're not putting like paprika. You're, it's all chemicals, right? Like you need literal test tubes and centrifuges. Like how is right, somebody doing right. that in a shack behind his house? I yeah. think it's more like the flavor profile being of like, you know, because it starts being based in real world flavors and then synthesized into this other thing that can be oh, like mass okay. produced. Have but, you had them? Oh, yeah. Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Uh, yeah. Can't can't stop eating them when you start All eating right. them. That's All the right, hard relax. part about them. <laughs> but like, it's interesting because I've worked in places where an idea I had was claimed to be the idea of someone above me. Oh, yeah. And the or and that becomes the story of a concept is like, oh, no, it's that guy that made it. And there's no I mean, like, I'm like, well, can you get the emails out? Because, you know, I pitched that thing and I, I know it came out of this office, but that actually came from me. And when I read like sort of how some of the people are like, you know, we looked into it and this person wasn't connected. It also feels like it very a very realistic possibility, too, is like that maybe this guy really did you know, get these people to say, we need to consider this. They take his idea and on all the documentation, it comes out of this office where he may have worked, but attributed to someone else because they don't want to admit someone who didn't even have anything to do with our department actually gave us this like idea. And we don't want to, you know, we don't want right. to give any credence to this idea. I don't know. But that's where I'm just kind of like, I'm a little, it just seems weird because they were letting this be the, you know, they were saying like, we, we, we allowed the rumor to stand for long enough. It's like, well, what? 
so the woman who was like primarily she was a recent grad from a uh the Wharton of food science, I guess, and she uh <laughs> She was the main driver of the flaming Cheeto, flaming hot Cheeto development process, and somebody brought this to her attention. She's since retired. Every most people who were involved with the development were retired, and so they weren't really paying attention. And then she kind of launched an inquiry to be like, "I'm being removed from this story, uh, and it's just not true." And that's now how this is coming out. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel so maybe I mean yeah if if I were her if, if Lynn Greenfield is that her L- yes Lynn Greenfield. Greenfield I would feel bad I I mean if if I got erased from the flaming hot Cheeto story I'd feel bad too but once right. you sort of back up as a company this story just give everybody the freaking story it's a nice story the guy yeah. like started from nothing like everybody just give him the story give Lynn some other Cheeto flavor <laughs> right <laughs> yeah I mean one of the kind of ideas is that maybe he invented like the hot popcorn flavor uh which because flaming hot cheetos was already being pushed in marketing material in 1991 before the ceo who he pitched flaming hot cheetos to in his story was even uh, like the ceo of the company so it's it the the timeline doesn't really line up um so they think maybe he developed another spicy snack and it's just being kind of <laughs> tossed together just love the, the battle that yeah. emerges from like you know the provenance of if you ask me he should be happy because now his movie actually sounds interesting to me before yeah. his movie sounded kind of boring it's like great right. poor guy invents cheeto like but now it's sort of like there's a tug of war at the end it's got an, it's got more twists and turns we'll yeah. see if they acknowledge that part because i know like on some level they they think it could be a christian film because of that's the uh, production company. is like, yeah. And his like, he says like, the, like God helped him conceive the idea. Oh no. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. The production they company like, that made God it. God stories it, don't have a lot of twists and turns. It's a lot know, of general. Yeah, they sort of straight ahead. It's going to end with like Lynn Greenfield being like smited by the Lord or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, and or just them happened. coming through and being like, we had this idea from our science. And, you know, then God. Oh, it's, uh, uh, but I like that I, story. New Our writer JM is pointing is pointing out that this they could also approach this as like the all the president's men, where the L.A. Times is trying to get to the truth of this elaborate conspiracy. So that's mm. another angle you could take on it. All uh, oh, right, maybe these maybe this is just instead of being one small movie that's made next year, yeah. uh, it could be all the movies that are like, released release next year. Yeah, yeah. it's you, a new podcast. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Dan go. just perked up. Yeah. Uh oh. Hey, I said it first, Dan. <laughs> I said it to yourself. The Cheetos. The Cheetos are disgusting. Yeah. Mail it to ourselves, <laughs> Jack. <laughs> mail this episode to ourselves. Oh, that's so old school. I used to do that. I used to. We were just thought, we, we always we love that joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, it wasn't a joke. It was real. You, con- you would always mail it to yourself. I've done that. Or you have an idea and. And you 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 don't have the balls to be like I'm copywriting this, but you mail it to yourself and you don't open it, and then and then you have time stamped. Then you have time stamped. Yeah, it was a rough. It was a different time, man. Yeah, 
the number of dumb ideas I've like claimed uh, off. You just have a stack of. of envelopes. Yeah. Well, like I was, <laughs> I'd open it, but then it would be null and void. <laughs> but I did invent it. Look, it's from '88. <laughs> Ties sure into the flaming hot Cheetos thing is my big idea when I was in my 20s, and this is a great indicator of how dumb I go. was. Uh, was pretzel M and M's. I was I was like mm. demanding that people hear me out that pretzel M&Ms were going to be great and then like five years later they became a thing uh, and they're not that good they're like okay they're not as good as I thought they were going to be <laughs> uh, so first I was like oh they took great. my idea which like that's not how that's not how yeah. capitalism works man you don't yeah. just say say it uh, and then tell M&Ms that to the Cheetos like, guy right right it's, yeah it's, it's always a hard uh, just a hard one to go up against when you're claiming you you were beat yeah. by a corporation to this massive idea. It's like, oh, I thought of Febreze first. Anyways, Eva Longoria hit me up. Uh, we'll we'll tell my story about pretzel M&M. and <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan, it's been a pleasure having you on the Daily Zeitgeist, man. Where can uh, people find you, follow you, experience you? Uh, Taborski on Twitter, and then the line is on uh, is on Apple. Uh, podcasts and wherever podcasts are available. What is the line? For the most part. It's called The Line, yeah. About Eddie Gallagher. Yeah, about Eddie Gallagher, war crimes, uh, Navy SEALs, uh, Forever Wars. It's pretty intense, but it's it's a, it's a good, shocking listen. Nice. Yeah, I was listening to the first episode. It's it's really, I mean, yeah, it's it, it grabs you. And I think also really challenges the listener in a way to sort of consider the worldview of these people who are like, fucking warrior killer types yeah. and you're like right there's a there are many like these people are not living a normal in a normal yeah. place like you or i are and it, it yeah it's a really interesting good glad you liked it uh and is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying oh god um no <laughs> okay no, great <laughs> here you go honest uh miles where can people find you and what's the tweet you've been enjoying uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray, and then also the other podcast, Four Twenty Day Fiance. You know, to talk about the easy goingness of Ninety Day Fiance. Uh, some tweets that I like. First one is from Joanna Borns at Robotics. Tweeted, "Hey, hey, my team at big corporation is hiring most depressing job title you've ever heard. Come work <laughs> with me." <laughs> very interesting tweet uh jordan morris our guest from last week he also tweeted there i don't know from the 60 minutes thing you know the one the dude who had the goatee who was talking i don't know if you remember there's a very oh, specific yeah, yeah. guy the talking hair, yeah that yeah facial. and he he has an image of this guy and he says the guy in 60 minutes who told us ufos are real looks like he'd also corner you at a party and explain his complicated method for getting out of duis <laughs> <laughs> he does uh, you gotta put can't can't just be a penny. It's got to be a penny and a dime under your tongue, and then they can't. <laughs> right, right, right. You, they won't <laughs> even know. And then finally, uh, Lauren Order at Kim Lordashian uh, tweeted: uh, DC is girl boss, NYC is gatekeep, and LA is gaslight. Hope wow. this clears things up. I think it does. I think I think we're all mm-hmm. wiser yep. now. Uh, tweet I've been enjoying. Let's go with April said, I used to think Stockholm Syndrome was bad, but now that I have it, I think it's good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Who is that? Me, uh, April at Auto Gyne Files. So uh, Auto A U T O G Y N E F I L E S. Gyne Files. The Gyne Files. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song are we recommending today? This is a track uh, from... Uh, from a track called Yin Yin, Y-I-N-Y-I-N, and it's called Ha Fin, H-A-W space P-H-I-N. And it's got a very, like, psychedelic surf rock kind of vibe to it. Like, if you like Krung Bin, you'll probably dig this track. But it's also got sort of, like, these, like, Asian, like, melodic scale guitar licks in it as well. And nice. it's just a nice, nice listen, you know? Kind of takes you on a, like, if you're going on a surf tour of Bali or something. Yeah, yeah. Yin Yin. Uh, all right. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for us this morning. We are back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye.